see all of you. Um, and that is a kind welcome, so thank you. Um, man, my family and I, all five of us are here because we wouldn't miss this. Uh, so to be invited uh, is truly a kindness to us. It is an honor to us. Uh, but I would say, man, that like obviously all praise and glory and honor to God as we celebrate this momentous season of this church. Uh, but I do believe that a substantial amount of applause goes to you as well. One of my favorite things to say is like, it truly wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. And so you coming each and every week, you bring all the beautiful ingredients that God has twisted and tucked into you. So hear my heart, maybe even the heart of the Lord, when I say thank you for being here today. There's this ancient Chinese proverb that says, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. And the second best time to plant a tree is today. And I love that proverb today because of how it so eloquently fits in the space that we are in. Because we are celebrating something that God planted 20 years ago. And I can tell you, from having the great honor and privilege of spending 14 of your 20 years right here with you, it's wonderful to be standing under the shade of God's tree in this space once again. And my life, the life of my family, man, it is rich with fruit from this tree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But y'all need to hear me. I think John just said it yes. Just said it best. The best is yet to come. God genuinely is not a guy who's like, man, remember that thing I did last time? That was super cool. God's, God's a next step kind of God. God is a taking ground kind of God. And so I want to, I with the opportunity that I have here today, um, man, I, I have a word that I believe will encourage all of you and perhaps even spur you in your next steps. The word is this, tag your it. But remember, there is no place like home. If there's one thing that I could do over the course of the next several minutes, I would love to help us see Jesus, to help us see ourselves, and help us see each other with greater clarity and more wonderful delight. I want to remind you of the wonderful call that God has on your life and the beautiful adventure that he is inviting you into with every day that he gives you. I want us to look at the difference between what it looks like to be near God and far from God. And so since we're gonna tackle that subject, uh, I wanted to contract my friend Grover here to give us a great illustration and visualize the concept of near and far. Okay, here goes. <clears throat> First, this is near. Right here, near. Mm -hmm. You see? Yeah, you see? That's 
pretty good illustration of the concept, right? So I'm not sure if you are near the Lord today or if that's how you would describe yourself, your fuzzy face all up in his fuzzy face or maybe farther, right? Uh, if you would use the word distant, perhaps, to describe your relationship with the Lord today, I want to invite you closer. If you would use the word near or close or intimate to describe your relationship with the Lord today, I want to encourage and spur and stir your adoration and your devotion. And I want to start what, what I call a science fiction movie genre called spreader movies. I'm sure you've seen a spreader movie of some kind in your life. The one that immediately comes to mind for me was this 2007 movie called The Invasion, where there were these aliens who inhabited the bodies of humans through this weird, like, viral, like, contact thing. And uh, at any rate, the whole plot of the movie, as you know, is that, like, more and more and more and more and more and more people are like invaded. It comes from the original book, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that was written like 1955. But throughout the movie, more and more people uh, find themselves invaded and changed and weird. And there's a select few that are trying to save their lives uh, throughout the movie, find a cause and save all of humanity. Um, and so the reason why this particular movie comes to mind is because it is forever etched in my memory this moment where one of the main characters is being pinned down by one of the infected ones, and they're trying to, like, spew like, their saliva, like, on this person and then transform them into one of the body-snatched peoples. I can just assure you right now, Jesus has a much better method of finding his way into all the lives of humanity, and that's what I want to look at today, all right? So, uh, I mean, I want you to be encouraged. Again, near or far, let's find ourselves delighted in the Lord. Before we step any further, though, uh, let's gather in prayer. God, thank you for every heart in the room. What a gift. What a joy to see people value your word, your presence, each other, and how you can absolutely touch lives and change lives. Thank you, Lord, for the clear vision you have put on this house in this faith family. I pray, Lord, you will put uh, a fire in my voice and with great clarity and true joy, everyone will hear your heart. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, join me in John chapter 4. Uh, I'm already turned there in my Bible. I'd encourage you to open up yours. Uh, we're going to be at just a couple of different verses in John chapter 4, but we're going to use those verses to kind of help us hop around and dig in and dig around all of the fun story that is in John chapter 4. So as you're turning there, uh, let me give you a quick recap. This is when Jesus goes from Judea to Galilee uh, and along the way, it says that he had to stop in Samaria. Now, some, some folks will say that's because he was making his way directly to the Samaritan woman that he'll meet while he's there. Others will let you know, well, it could also just be because of the fact that was the shortest distance between those two lines of Judea and Galilee was the road through Samaria. Nevertheless, 
he takes that road. He finds himself at this well. The disciples take off and they go gather some food after the trip. Jesus is road weary. He takes a seat and along comes this Samaritan woman. Um, she's got an interesting situation going on here because she is a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew and they don't ever communicate. Samaritans and Jews. So that's interesting. Uh, but as they do begin to talk, because Jesus isn't swayed by that, um, they get into this conversation about being thirsty and, you know, true living water. And they also find out a little bit of, like, her past, how she has five husbands. And there's this dude that she's living with now that is not her husband. They talk about worshiping God, and whether it's in Jerusalem or on this hill that happens to be right there in Samaria. And then they even get into this really sweet spot where she says, I don't know all of what you're saying, but I do know that when the Messiah comes, he will explain these things to us. And then Jesus kind of leans in. He says, I am he. And then there's this delight and this shock and this instant change in her heart. And it says she leaves her pitcher beside the well. She runs back into her village and she tells everyone that she knows that she's just met the Messiah. As she runs off, the disciples walk up and they say, Jesus alone talking to this woman. And they're like, uh, huh? And they don't have the courage to talk about it. So they're just like, okay, we're just going to leave that alone. And then they do walk up and they say, hey, Jesus, you do look quite tired still. Uh, eat something. And he says, I have a food and a nourishment that you guys don't know about yet. And as he's telling them what God is doing in his moment in Samaria that day, he encapsulates that moment with these words here. Verse 35. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. And the harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Again, let's take these three phrases that are here and use them as a framework for our time together today as we spend a moment with the Lord looking at being near to him or far from him. Beginning with, the fields are already ripe for harvest. Or in the original Greek, white for harvest, which could be potentially proof, once again, that heaven is Texas and Jesus stands right here. And when he looks out on the fields that are white with harvest, it's cotton, baby, whatever. So... <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, I'm a pastor now in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, it's incredibly wonderful being there um, in a new state for me. I spent my whole life in Texas up until our move back in June. When I got there, though, my very first Sunday, I had a couple come up to me and they go, okay, we just need to know right now, um, are you one of those obnoxious Texans? <laughs> and so I kind of just put my Texas card in my back pocket and I was like, those guys are weird, right? But I will tell you, uh, I don't know if I'm an obnoxious Texan or not, I do find it truly delightful and somewhat whimsical how we do have this specificity about Texas and how amazing we are. Because, like, you're not going to go anywhere else in the United States and see somebody wearing or find in a convenience store, somebody that has, like, glasses with the shape of their state, like, on them, right? You're also not going to, like, turn your radio dial in Rhode Island and hear, DQ, that's what I like about Rhode Island. Like, this doesn't happen. 
We have this wonderful thing that happens here that's specific to us, and we cherish it. We're Texans. Oh, man. So with that in mind, have you guys ever seen the shirt, um, Y'all Need Jesus? As we begin to step into this idea of, of far from the Lord, I would actually change this to Wall Need Jesus, because we all need Jesus. We all, to hear me so clearly, right? We have no shortage of people who need the Lord. That doesn't exist. We all need Jesus. I know I would benefit from just a touch more of his mercy. I would delight in another dose of his grace. I think any of us would welcome his love or his joy, his blessing and his promise. Man, his peace in a moment of delight or difficulty. We all need a little bit more of the Lord. In verse 7, we meet this Samaritan woman, and she has quite a reputation. Just raise your hand real quick if this story is familiar to you. It's not the first time that you've heard it, right? It's a pretty familiar story, right? So, so we've heard things like, you know, she's making these midday trips to the well because she doesn't want to run into everybody else who goes in the morning or in the evening when it's more of a peak time. We do know that there's this weird thing about all the husbands that she's had in her past, and then there's this questionable nature of her current relationship, uh, she is defined and painted in many respects as like an outcast in a lot of our interpretations of this passage. Um, and so with all of that, we can potentially infer uh, from the text that her situation, it makes me think of like a Pearl Jam song, go figure, right? Um, it's like she lost the invitation to the party on earth and she's standing outside hating everyone here. The song is called Break or Fall, and I love it because the, the riff and the, the hook of the song is only love will break or fall. So for those of you who didn't listen to music or were even born back in 1995, perhaps this will like sit with you as it resonates with me. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Right? Okay. Um, definitely in this moment, she's far from the Lord. But there are some things that Jesus specifically addresses and uses as like connection points to get close to her and close the gap. And so as we examine those, perhaps we can see what it looks like to be far from the Lord. For example, when it comes to our past, when we're far from the Lord, there might be some things that we haven't reconciled. And because we haven't reconciled them, there's like this pattern of repetition with the five husbands. And again, we don't know. I mean, we don't know. It could be a crazy happenstance where she was a widow five times. That's not what the text really infers, though. So I do believe there's this repetition. There's this pattern in her past that she finds herself in this vicious cycle. In the present, there is this interesting relationship with the guy that she's currently with. It says not her husband, but in the way that the Greek communicates that, it could also mean not her husband because he is the husband of someone else. So there's this, there's this accommodating, navigating walking around our present where there are some things that are obviously there, but we neglect them or ignore them or allow them to kind of stay present. We kind of ourselves, you know, how many of you know there's like some hurts or some things you, you find yourself walking around in your life? There's an avoidance there when we're far from the Lord. Uh, our questions 
about life and spiritual matters, they're typically skeptical in nature. Not always, but typically. Like, I mean, what is really going on with this, with my life, or, or with the spiritual world, or with God, or, or like, and, and is it real? Uh, is, is what I read true? Is what you say true? When she says things like, man, so there's this whole thing about, you know, worshiping in Jerusalem, and we have our worship vibe here. She's like, what, what's going on? What's, what's, what's reality? What's true? I think the best word, though, is the word that we find right here in the text to describe those that are far from the Lord. And that is thirsty. There's something on the inside of us that just longs for rest. We're thirsty. We're looking for something that just isn't present in our lives. And I don't know if any of this resonates with you this morning. If it does, again, I want to invite you closer. And please hear me. God will meet you right where you are. And if that's not stunning enough, <laughs> he will give you all that he has. I'm here to tell you, he has a lot, right? Like we can't even articulate, we can't even articulate it. But it's so true, man. He will meet you right where you are. He wasn't like put aside by this woman. There's, there's a really safe case to say he was there to meet her and visit with her and open, to be open to her and attached to her. And, just, and, and not only that, not just men give her all he has. That's exactly how he words it, actually, in, in chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you. Can we just let that phrase, like, sit on our heart? Men, if you only knew the gift God has for you. If you knew who you were speaking to, man, you would ask me. You, I'm just telling you, you would, you would ask me, and I'll give you living water. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them and giving them eternal life. What about being near to the Lord? The next phrase as we go along from 35 is this. The harvesters are paid good wages. So taking a glance at what far from the Lord looks like, what about near to the Lord? Those that are harvesting, working alongside him, have caught a glimpse of his vision for humanity. Can I begin by saying Jesus is a harvester? He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. His heart is filled with compassion. I mean, it just breaks and runs to anyone who can't see God's direction for their life or who don't know his love for their soul. I mean, it's so fun to see in this moment with the Samaritan woman how he creates breakthrough in her life. You can also see it in the story of Zacchaeus. You want to go Google that later and read it on your own. I highly encourage it. But there's this shift where the joy of redemption is obvious this thing that we see in Jesus, this harvesting, this intentional meeting and connecting and making something happen, like it immediately manifests in her. He connects with her, and then she runs and connects with everybody in her village. 
without hesitation, she shares the moment that she has with Jesus with all of them, and then they come running and they encounter him. Just like a great science fiction spreader movie, right? Just all of a sudden, we see this beautiful exponential effect. This is what Jesus is talking about in verse 34 and 35 when he says, eat something. And Jesus says, you guys, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. I mean, if we're going to talk about nearness to God, man, Jesus is it. It doesn't get any closer than Jesus. He's already tied up, twisted, and tethered into the beautiful Trinity, God, Son, Holy Spirit, right? He even says in his time on earth that me and the Father, we are one. Now, obviously, we can't be Jesus. But let me encourage you. There's no reason at all why he couldn't be like the dude we want to be. Please, if you have any affection and connection with the Lord at all, let Jesus be the one you want to model your life after. Because he is wondrously wonderful. When we look at nearness to God, for us, it begins to show itself in things like this. We'll have something in our past we haven't reconciled, but because of like, our nearness to God, our, our being to pattern ourselves in the rhythms and realities of Jesus, we, we release our past. We don't carry anything around unnecessarily and allow it to circle in our lives. We deal with it and we let go because we know that the Lord is moving ahead. There will be redemption in our past, certainly, but we're going to let go of anything that isn't serving us well and move forward. When it comes to our present, yeah, we're going to have some things too that are in our life that we're kind of walking around because we haven't picked it up yet. But instead of just walking around and leaving it there for years and years and years and years, we actually follow the rhythms and realities of Jesus and find ourselves intentionally going toward it, dismantling it, and doing so in a great pattern of grace. We want that reality, whatever it is in our present, to change. And so we'll work on it. We're not going to just ignore it. And while we're working on it, we know we're not going to be perfect about it. And so we'll do intentional work and we'll apply intentional grace so that on days when we fall short or we have a mistake or whatever, we mess up, we're not going to beat ourselves over the head. When we're near to the Lord, that's how we can hold ourselves. That's how we can hold each other. There are things that we do in those, lives, those that are close to us in our lives that just frustrate us. But instead of walking around it and trying to like, you know, live life like this, right, we address it with intentionality and with grace. Our questions are questions of curiosity. Those who are near the Lord certainly can have their skeptical moments too, sure. But like at the very core of our hearts, just like at the very core of Jesus, there is this curiosity. There's this beautiful wanting to know more celebration of all that God has done in tiny things like creating clovers to giant things like releasing someone from the sin debt that's weighing down their soul. We just want to know more about him. And we see that, again, in this rhythm and reality of Jesus. He's near to the Lord. He's present with the Samaritan woman, and he begins to just ask about our life, asks questions, gets to know. He has a curiosity about him. And finally, the best word 
that we can use to describe someone near to the Lord is satisfied. Satisfied. We've had a lot of theologians over the years that have tackled this topic, satisfaction. My favorite might be the wilderness prophet Mick Jagger, <laughs> who can't get no satisfaction. That's not true. My favorite is absolutely the psalmist David Grohl. All my life I've been searching for something, something never comes, never leads to nothing, nothing satisfies, but I'm getting close, closer to the prize at the end of the rope. Okay, real theologians now, right? I mean, those guys, my world, they, they, they're keenly observant, and it's their job to write stuff, so that's pretty cool. Uh, also keenly observant, their job to write stuff. Uh, man, John Piper. My aim over the years is to be a Christian hedonist. That is, being a person who believes that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. And then, like, there's C.S. Lewis, my man. I say my man because that brother's a tobacconist just like your boy Alan here. And this beautiful cloud of holiness and divinity. Um, he says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And we'll get to that in just a second. That's where we're going to land. Nearness to God. As I was thumbing through all of the, the things that the Lord was connecting me to in preparing this message, there was a moment in the last couple of weeks, I was in my office, and I just kind of stopped for a second, took one step away from my desk, and was looking at the wall and the window outside. And I had this question, like, if... If I was like on the edge of that step from this life into God's full presence, right? I know I'm one or two steps from walking from this life and, and being in heaven. At that moment, what am I going to need? Just, it's weird. I mean, it's just like that question just kind of, so I was puzzled for a minute. I was like, man, okay. So if I could ask you a question this morning, like if, if you were to make a list of the things that you need, like, what, what would make the list? And the longer that I sat there and thought about it, I began to notice that there's some things that I tell myself that I need often. But they didn't make that list. I need to work out. I need to work out. Yeah, you know what's up. I mean, I do, man. Like, it's stewardship of the body. I mean, it's so good. I believe God is a God of vision. He's a God of imagination. He is a God who wants to take on things and tackle them. That's some of the beauty of, like, the life that he's given us is we get to step into things. So step into it. Absolutely. But when I begin to think about, okay, if we leave the world where we come into it, what am I going to need then? And all those things that I tell myself, they just said, the list is actually already penned, and we find it in Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Y'all, I need love. 
I need joy. I need peace. I need patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I love that Paul closes this up with, like, against those things, they're just, there is no law. This is the beautiful, truest, wonderful, most incredible thing that is. The reality and the goo of the Holy Spirit that makes its way and breaks its way into humanity. There's my need list. And this is what I experience when I'm close to the Lord. And I bet the same is true of you. When we have a moment close to the Lord, aren't these the descriptors? doesn't matter what the situation is. We find ourselves in love. We find ourselves, like, peaceful. We find ourselves like, man, life is good. It's beautiful what nearness to God does for us. And so it's so crazy. Go back to, like, like um, you know, the framework from 35. It says that the harvesters get paid good wages. I'm not being honest. I'm just kind of curious, like, what's that salary package look like? Right? If we're going to be near the Lord, near his heart, near his vision, near his desires for others, and just bold enough to step him up on him, I mean, what do those wages look like? What am I, what, what am I in for? Can I ask you this morning, man, um, do you know someone who's far from God? Like, just take a minute. Scan your circle of influence. You're like, oh, absolutely. I know somebody right now who would totally benefit from somebody showing up and, like, encouraging them or blessing their life or just taking a minute to listen to them. And can you picture them? The touch of, like, hope, power, and love, man, it it would actually change their afternoon. And then can I just tell you, man, like, like, there is more for you and for them in that next obedient step of connection, if you were to actually step out and follow the Lord and connect with them, there's just more waiting for you than I could possibly articulate. But I'll say it this way. The good things of God are waiting for us in the good work of God, and they cannot be overstated. Immediate benefit, blessing, wonder, story, moment. It's all waiting for us. And then what's so rad is like, who knows what that moment will do for them and then who they'll take it to and then who they'll take it to. And we'll find ourselves truly in the presence of the Lord one day when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And there's gonna be a whole other level of reward that is mysteriously promised in Jesus' words. The good things of God, my friends, they are waiting for us in the good work of God, and it cannot be overstated. I believe that's one element of what we read in Ecclesiastes. Wonderfully optimistic book. That's sarcasm. Um, It's a big rant on how meaningless life is, but there are some of these beautiful nuggets intermingled in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5. They close with statements like these. I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food, enjoy some drink, and find satisfaction in the work. Can I just tell you, the best work that there is is being a harvester for dad. There's good wages waiting for us. That, again, we can't even begin to And he says, then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Like he opens his hand and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. And I love how he closes this 
Who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? The presence of God brings the essence of home. And this is where I want us to like land today. If you're far from God, if you're near from God, let's make our way toward God because in his presence is the essence of home. Just like C.S. Lewis said, if nothing is satisfying us here, there's another place that was designed for us to find complete rest and complete joy. But the beautiful thing is we can experience that essence even now. I love how John said, man, your best days are ahead of you. God's done so much in this church over the past 20 years. But y'all, can I just tell you, there's a whole community out here who can't wait for you to bless them, to be conduit and channel of God's love into their lives. Tag your it. There's no place like home. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I have found a home in Baton Rouge. And it's a guy named Dwight. This isn't the only home that I've found in Baton Rouge. And I can even detail to you a lot of the home that I have here. What I mean by that is those moments when we get together and all of the fullness of God begins to manifest around us and just kind of melt away all the, the temporary things of the world. Here's Dwight. He is 93 years old. And I met Dwight on the basketball court. He plays in a pickup game on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I play on Mondays and Fridays. And he gathers around with any, any, I mean, I guess, you know, so 46 to 93. That's the age range of the guys. I am the youngest of the bunch. But you should see this guy play basketball. And I'll even give you a little taste. I mean, his three-pointers are on point. And this is a looping video, but I'm here to tell you right now, if you play with him, you don't need a loop. You're going to see it plenty before you go home. Not only that, man, he can still break to the basket with, like, amazing speed. And I'll tell you this. If you sleep while you are guarding Dwight, he will sneak away from you like a geriatric ninja and embarrass you with a layup. He will. He's delightful, and he's a delightful man of God, and it's so much fun, man. So, like, about two months after playing with these guys, before we started playing on a, on a Friday, he pulls me aside, and he says, now, Alan, did you really move to Baton Rouge just to pastor that church over there? I said, Dwight, no, I moved to Baton Rouge to play basketball with you. I said, I'm just doing the, the pastoring thing to pay the bills. Because, man, y'all, I'm here to tell you, I find so much of home in this man. And it's all around us. It's thick in this room every Sunday. But I'm here to tell you, it's, and it's in you. Waiting for the next opportunity to just kind of just leak out and bless someone else. We have this thing where we, on rare occasions, we'll gather up and we'll pray. When something really needs prayer. And, and Dwight will typically lead us. And so there was this moment a couple months ago where one of the other guys that plays on the, on the pickup game, I mean, his wife is going into surgery. And so Dwight gathers us up. He says, he says now, now we're going to pray, and we're going to lift Diane up, 
Because we trust that the Lord will do a mighty thing in her life. And then he, he has his bow. He leads us in prayer. And he says these words. He says, Lord, in your word it says. And there was just this incredible resolve in this man's heart that God's word is true and worthy of standing on. And so he says, in your word it says. And he quotes the scripture. And so we ask. He did it two or three or four times. I'm just here to tell you, for the rest of my life, until I'm 93 and playing basketball with another guy who's 46, Lord, in your word it says has been like tattooed on my heart in a way that I'll never forget. There's this beautiful reality, this essence of home that we have the wonderful opportunity of sharing. And so I would love, as we close today, I got two things I want to do. First off, I want to show you this. This is how John chapter 4 begins to wrap up. Jesus says, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will get together the harvest. It's actually supposed to be to gather the harvest. This is called a typo. Anyway, um, now, turning point, hear me. You will get to gather the harvest. Cool, Alan. How? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Let's look at that for a second. Let's follow the rhythms and the realities of Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus and gather the harvest. First off, man, let's see people. When we're out and about, let's have eyes that genuinely see people. And if you notice that they're near to the Lord, man, encourage them. If you notice that they're far from the Lord, run to them. Because we can see the difference. And if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, there's plenty of times where I'm like, whoa, that dude is far from the Lord. I'm getting far away from him. Right? Like, but that's a moment of judgment. So that's, it's crazy how like the Lord says, whoa, whoa, don't judge lest you be judged. Like, don't judge. I don't need you to be any certain way for me to be any certain way. I don't. I'm good. Unless I begin to believe crap that isn't true. And I want to be someone, I want to be a son who harvests and who's after dad's work and who sees people. And if they're near to God, Zeb, you're near to the Lord, bro, keep after it. Y'all, the 11 to 30 crowd, so you get a little bit of like unfiltered Alan sometimes. <laughs> keep after it. If you're far from him, come talk to me. I would love to share him with you. Let's see people. Go first. Make the first move. That's what Jesus does. He's sitting there. She's standing there. Nobody's talking. Hey, can, can I have a drink? Don't care if you're a Samaritan. Don't care if I'm a Jew. Let's talk. He was courageous enough to take the first step. Let's be courageous enough to take the first step. Get close to their story. Let's listen to them. He didn't pick apart her history. He just asked about it. He didn't really make a big deal about the fact that, you know, she's... Shacked up with some dude right now. What he did do, though, is celebrate her honesty. Go back and look at it. It's beautiful. He celebrates her honesty, and he learns her story. Then share yours. It's exactly what he does. Man, if you knew who you were talking to, whoo, I got something for you. Especially the Jesus part. Those moments where you have run into the beautiful power of God. In its simplicity and its absolute life transformation.
And let's trust Dad. Who is the Lord of the harvest? Because we water, we plant, he's in charge of the increase. He's, he's a good dad, y'all. Y'all. If that doesn't let you know I'm from Texas, I don't know what. To, I actually don't talk like a Texan a whole lot unless you hear me like, okay, I'm going to say it. Yell at my kids. When I'm yelling, y'all get back in here. Like that's just like when the generations of like parenting is alive and well. All right. Can we have a moment of home together before I leave? Let's stand together. Because again, it, it, it can happen anywhere. Whenever we're together, we can have this, we can embrace the essence of home. And I want to do that. I, I want to I delight in what God has done, his presence in this place, and how all of us connect to him and have a moment of joy and love and peace, kindness. Uh, I, I'm going to ask that, 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 that Natalie come right here and, and join me because she's a better singer than I am. Um, You guys, you guys recognize this song right here? Where you stand, you bring the kingdom. You have home packed inside of you. Can we celebrate that right now? We are standing on holy ground. turning point tag your it and remember there is no place like home right click click there is no place like home let's celebrate the Lord y'all come on